RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here, as always, to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And really excited about my guest this week. He has a lot of great stories and uh, grew up as, a, you know, we talked to a lot of second generation, third generation wrestlers. That's sort of uh, something that I enjoy to do because they have a different perspective of the business uh, growing up watching it or watching their grandfather, watching their father um, or their mother for that matter. And uh, so I don't know that we've ever interviewed a second generation referee but it's an uh, interesting story, interesting uh, the twists and turns that his Earl Hebner's career took and how they affected uh, Brian Hebner's career. Brian Hebner, who's now with NWA Power with three R's, YouTube and on Facebook, drops each and every Tuesday at 6.05. We're going to talk about it more, but it's actually a really cool atmosphere. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend you checking it out. It's so- totally different back to the talk about back to the future man uh it brings you right back to the 1980 you know 79 80 81 days of georgia championship wrestling and and a totally different atmosphere no entrance music no ring announcing we'll get into it with brian but i think it's a really cool cool thing you may not like it but i if, uh, suggest you check it out so uh full gear is come and gone and Chris Jericho, I think, I don't know if, Jerry, did I mention last week that I, I thought maybe they'd use MGF to, to, yeah, so I was right on that. Um, sort of had reservations about doing it so quickly, uh, but, you know, I guess for them, uh, they got to make every every minute count, and so, you know, they can't do long, you know, for the most part, can't, can't do long, draggy builds. So they just got to keep rolling and get people interested. And, and it worked because uh, the ratings are in as we record this and kind of back to normal where it's been. Uh, uh, about 950,000 viewers for All Elite and about 750 for NXT and have not got to see NXT yet. But uh, that, it's funny that um, that rub that they got from uh, being on SmackDown and Raw, I guess, only lasted one week. So... Every week is different, and it's still a fresh war, so we'll see. But from what it looks like, uh, unless something major happens, it looks like uh, AEW is settling in right at around a million, between 900 and a million viewers, and uh, NXT right at around 750,000. I don't know if WWE is okay. I'm sure AEW is thrilled to be anywhere close to a million a week. I think their initial projections were half that. Uh, Pretty sure of it, actually. So... I'm sure they're thrilled, and but you know I don't know if WWE and, and USA and Vince McMahon and Triple H are happy being you know the the second rated show uh, and having two hundred thousand, hundred fifty, three hundred, whatever week it is, less viewers. So it'll be interesting because they don't like to lose. Uh, trust me, I know it for a fact and uh, from experience. So be interesting to see what they do in the future. Great episode of All Elite Dynamite this week. 
one of my favorite promos now of all time, topping my favorite promo. For, I think I put on uh, Twitter last week that uh, uh, every week somebody tops the other one as far as promos go, and I think I put who could, who could outdo Cody Rhodes in what was probably the greatest promo in years that he did leading up to Full Gear. And leave it to MJF and Chris Jericho. Totally different type of promo, but just as entertaining uh, uh, to, to do an amazing uh amazing promo together and uh the part about uh uh your parents got horny when uh i was wrestling juventud guerrera on wcw saturday night and there and produced you uh god what a pop i got for that so actually i, I actually funny story you know i, I talk about twitter I, I don't know what's gonna what people are gonna give a crap about and what our, people don't care about sometimes i write something i think is really witty and like nobody cares and some people i write something that i don't think anybody's gonna care about like talking about dinner for th- three uh this past week and a little uh memory difference of uh what happened with the sale at wcw and uh, people go crazy but I wrote Wednesday night, I wrote, I was the ring announcer for WCW Saturday night 25 years ago when at I Am Jericho was beating up at Juventud Guerrera. Who would have known all these later, all these years later what that match would produce at MJF? I need a drink, dot, dot, dot. Well, Chris Jericho retweeted it. Juventud retweeted it. We've got to try to get Juventud on the, on the podcast. We need a Hoovy podcast uh, episode for sure. And so far, it's uh, even outdone. Uh, it's about as viral as I'm going to get, guys. You know, it's, not, it's not, you know, uh, what you would call viral in the true sense, but it's about as viral as David Penzer is going to get on Twitter. By the way, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I gained like 150 followers in the last 24 hours. If you don't follow me... Uh, if you want great, uh, intelligent, uh, no, I'm kidding. If you want to see my take on things uh, and, and follow, you know, guests on the show and uh, talk about uh, pro wrestling, be sure to follow me at David Penzer, all one word, D-A-V-I-D-P-E-N-Z-E-R. You can follow the show at Penzer Ringside. And uh, some people take life way too seriously, man. I had a guy come back about two hours later after I, I, I put that out and said, I've now looked at every WCW match in that time period, and I've done a computer search of every WCW Saturday night match in that time period, and unless you have your luchadors confused, there was never a time that Juventud Guerrera and Chris Jericho wrestled on WCW Saturday night. It was only Thunder and Nitro. And I'm thinking... I don't even want to tell you what I'm thinking because it's not nice, but I didn't put that. I just put, please grow a sense of humor. This was just a joke of, uh, I was just joking as I believe Chris was. Just roll with it and enjoy the, I don't remember exactly what I said, roll with it and enjoy the the humor. Uh, So for those of you who really want to know if there was a match on WCW Saturday night, 25 years ago, I'm here to tell you that I guess there wasn't. Uh, but, uh, that's, if, if that's what you're looking at, you're missing the point, but it is what it is. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome my guest this week, second generation referee. And now I believe lead referee for NWA power. You can find it each and every Tuesday on Facebook and YouTube at 605. And if you don't get to watch it at 605, you could watch it at your leisure. The one and only Brian Hebner. Welcome to sitting in ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, this week on City Ringside, 
We are welcoming second-generation referee. As you know, on this podcast, I love talking to second- and third-generation wrestlers. Not often you get to talk to a second-generation referee in this wrestling landscape. Uh, you can now see him ply his craft online uh, for the NWA. The show is called Power, and we're going to talk about it later because it's nothing like you've seen in the last 25 years. And the different, what makes it different is what makes it cool. But we'll get to that. Ladies and gentlemen, this week, please welcome Brian Hebner to City Ringside. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing good, David. How are you doing, Mr. Spencer? David, please, for God's sakes. All you're right, gonna, all right. You're going you're gonna to get heat. You're going to get heat from the boys for that, for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as I like to do, uh, we're, uh, let's start at the beginning. We'll talk, certainly talk about the NWA show towards the end. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a couple questions. I don't know if you know the answers to, but uh, we're we're working to try to get either Lagana or Billy Corgan on the show. But uh, so far, it hasn't happened. Um, you might want to tell them that if you see them, by the way. But uh, I'll do that. Yeah, please do. Um, so I'm assuming that. You grew up watching your dad as a referee? Yes, that is correct. About uh, what age did you realize what he what his profession was? Um, I, honestly, I remember it as early as I can remember being a kid. I mean, I, so very, very early on, I knew what he did and was always in, in obviously a, and always in awe. You know what I mean? Like once I figured out what exactly it was, I was able to, 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 to realize what it was and what was going on, it was just, ever since then, it was just like, wow, my dad's the man. <laughs> how, did, how often did he take you to the matches? Uh, well, unfortunately, my mom and my dad had separated uh, young in my life, so I was basically a weekend dad guy. And so every weekend, uh, I went with him, and my dad had a large old school bus before he became a full-time just referee he would also haul the ring around right and uh and that bus you know obviously he had no seats and then he had built a wall and there was like seats that wrapped around like a um kind of like a, a, a i don't know like a you you know u-shaped so anyway i would ride around with him to these shows and sleep on the bus and help put the ring up and it was just I just got it all, man. Left it all up, you know. Putting the ring together, ring announcing, playing music, uh, watching him ref. It was it was really cool. When I, you know, when you were young. That is super cool. I didn't know that. That's why I love to do this 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 show because uh, to find out things that even I didn't know. And actually, I didn't know it a lot. The 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 thing I learned this week that uh, is the biggest miscarriage of justice is that I have a uh, a Wikipedia page and you don't. Somebody needs to put really? you on. If I knew how to do a Wikipedia page, I'd do one for you, but I have no clue how it's done. But, uh, but yeah, so this is a lot of time I do a lot of research. This is uh, like legit. And, and sometimes I know the answers, you know, or where I'm going with them. But I'm just we're just talking here because there's, you know, there's pretty much not, not a lot on you. So somebody so you need to get your uh, if you have any kids or something to figure out how to do a Wikipedia page and get you up there. But um, so that's absolutely super cool that you got to spend the, you know, if you're going to have a, a split marriage, which is never fun, you know, hell, you're going on the road with your dad doing the wrestling circuit every weekend. That can't be bad. Um, no. So what, and what, what year are we talking about? Because, uh, you know, Crockett Promotions during the early 80s uh, into the mid 80s, you know, had some of the hottest stuff going on in the in the in the business. Yeah, this was definitely uh, in, in the early '80s uh, with Crockett uh, when he was doing the uh, you know the uh, the ring crew and the announcing and 
all that kind of thing. Um, you know, and I don't even know if a lot of people know, but, you know, my dad was really, um, that his main job at that point with Crockett before he became a ref was setting the ring up and doing the ring announcing. Um, and then, uh, one day I believe it was Tommy Young or it might've been Sonny Fargo at that point. I'm not sure which one, uh, was sick or something like that. And they needed another ref and, and my dad stepped in and, um, and history was written. So I mean, that's a pretty cool story for him. There's always a story like that, man. I've heard so many of them, you know, just sitting around doing, you know, doing what you love. And then all of a sudden somebody doesn't show up and you get a break and you run with it, which is kind of what I did. Uh, so yeah. I could, I could appreciate that. Uh, who were your, fa- who were, first of all, were you, were you smartened up at that time? I'm assuming you were, if you were riding around. I was, it was weird. Uh, it, it was really weird. So I was like a, um, a tug of war rope. So, because the reason why I say that is because my mom was sitting there telling me there is no Santa. And then my, my dad would say, Oh yes, there is a Santa. Um, it was really, really weird. And, and I always believed my dad over my mom because, you know, my dad was the star. My mom was, you know what I mean? I was like, wait a minute, he's on TV. You're not. And you're telling me that cause you're mad at him because y'all aren't married anymore. You know what I mean? That, that was, that was, that was the way I attacked it. I was just like, this is crazy. It was a while, man, believe it or not. I mean, I was, it's probably embarrassing how long it really took me to, you know, to get the, 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 the just of what was going on. <laughs> so I'm assuming that even though you went on the road with them, you were not allowed in the locker room. I was, um, I was allowed in the locker room, but not long. So like I could just peep my head in there and grab a Coke or something like that. And then I had to leave. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, back then, people took the stuff seriously, especially in that territory. And there were times where, you know, they had a screw job, not purposely like a Montreal thing, which we'll talk about. But like, you know, where the ref's back is turned or the ref gets knocked out and the heel goes over and wins the title. Uh, did uh, did did you get any heat from your friends at school or people at school ever when uh, when your dad would would would, you know, uh, you know, not on purpose cause a heel to go over? Always, man. Sundays um, <laughs> were like, all right, tomorrow's Monday. I got to face all these stupid asses. I'm, I'm sorry if I can say that. but anyway, No, no, you can say anything you want. They're going to just, okay. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to face all these stupid asses now. They're going to just berate me. I don't even want to go to school. So, yeah, Sunday pay-per-views were always fun for me, but then I always knew at the end of it, it was like, okay, here comes Monday. That's crazy. Yeah, they didn't screw around in that territory. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't watch it at the time, but I, I've seen tapes and I've heard stories, a lot of stories. Uh, they didn't screw around. That was a serious territory. Uh, but um, so 1988, your dad went to WWF, did his thing, did the evil brother get angle, uh, brought in by DBI. I'll never forget watching that live as a fan. I knew that your your uncle and your brother, who were twins, were both in the business. So I kind of, I, I, I when I saw him come out, I knew that you know what the story was. But uh, it was still a cool swerve. Um, did you know that was going to happen? Um, well, I did. Well, no, well, okay. So my dad called me, and this was you know during obviously the Saturday night main event, right? And my dad had called me that that actual day, and he says. Hey, I need you to do me a favor. I said, okay. He says, you normally watch Saturday Night Main Event, don't you? I said, yeah, always. He says, well, walk, make sure you tune in tonight, okay? I said, okay. I said, why, well, is Uncle David doing something pretty cool? Well, just just check it out. I said, okay, I'll check it out. So I remember, like, yesterday, I was at my buddy's house spending the night, and I told him what he told me. And it was really weird because, you know, at that time, you know, there were my, my, my dad and my uncle, 
obviously love each other, but but they were like our company's better, no, my company's better kind of thing. And so your dad was still working for my, your dad was still working for Crockett up until right before that angle, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd just been with him that previous weekend, you know, oh my at, God. At, a, at a show in North Carolina. Um, and so what was weird was that it was just odd that my dad would persuade me to watch my uncle in a promotion that he didn't pull for. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I watched it. I saw it, and um, I, I I knew something immediately when I saw the match start because I know my my dad, my uncle, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, either David's lost some weight or that's my dad. And I know my dad wouldn't call me to tell me to look at David and look at the weight that he's lost. <laughs> so, so I just figured, okay, all right. So I watched it play out, and then when it happened, I was like, this is so cool. This is so cool. And I kind of figured it, but I didn't know it because he didn't want to give it away to me. He's always been that way to me, too, so it's just cool for, for me and him when we do the you know the wrestling deal. Um, he's always kind of made it a surprise, you know, for me. So yeah, it, it was really, really neat. It was a, a night, I, obviously, I'll never forget because that was the night that my dad and my uncle were officially being able to work together, which was really cool. Um, I've interviewed, I interviewed your dad early in the history of this podcast, just very briefly. I think we're sitting at a lunch table in a, at, at an impact taping, and we did about 20 minutes. But um, do, do you know why he decided to go? Is it purely a money play? Or did he get tired of doing the – I would say tired of traveling, but the only difference between Crockett and, uh, and WWF was that Crockett, you had to drive. WWF, you just flew everywhere, but you still were on the road a ton. Yeah, I honestly think it was a combination of the opportunity and the money together. Um, you know, because, you know, it was a harder life for him um, and, of course, lesser money. So, I mean, so he took a bigger role. He was, he was coming right in as a as a top official, I think. Um, and, you know, he was doing well money-wise as far as that goes, too. So, I mean, I think that all played into it. And I think, you know, they're twins. My dad and were twins, and people could say what they want. I mean, you know, there's a special, and I have twin daughters. So what I'm saying is, Oh, wow. There's a special connection that people don't understand that, that twins have. And, I mean, I think it was a combination of that, the opportunity, money, and, hey, I get to work with my twin and be around my brother, you know? Yeah, certainly, for sure. Uh, but it probably changed a lot for you because instead of, I'm assuming, instead of going on the road on the weekends, you didn't see him as much because he was traveling the globe. That That is actually true. That was probably the saddest time of my life because of the fact of what you just said. I mean, I, I didn't get to see and travel with him nearly as much as I did before. Um, but I was proud of them at the same time. Now, you know, there's people like, you know, my sister and all that doesn't understand it the way I did. That was just like, man, this, you know, this sucks. This, you know, this really sucks. We're going to see my dad for like three weeks, you know, and that kind of thing. And I thought the same thing, but I knew why. Um, she knew why, but she didn't care like I did, you know what I mean? But it was, you know, weird, a weird time, but, it, you know, it is what it is. You know, people got to go out and make money. Absolutely, 100%. I was on the road 25 days a month at the height of WCW. We'd come in on, I'd either come in on a Wednesday and go back out on a Friday or come in on a Thursday and go back out on a Friday. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, I understand. I wasn't even making that much money. I was just living my dream. Uh, yeah, so if, if you're making, if you're making a lot of money, you know, I had Turner benefits and all that. So, you know, my, my, we had great health insurance for my young family, but, uh, but the money was not, uh, what people would think it was. Hey, um, at what point did you, I'm sure when you were really young, you decided, but at what point did you get real serious about, you know, the fact that you wanted to follow in your, your dad and your uncle's footsteps? Probably, uh, probably my middle school years. Um, I knew I was going to high school and people were pushing me to figure out what I wanted to do later and think about college and things like that. And I just knew, I just knew that, that, that 
was not going to be for me. And I knew that wrestling was what I was going to do. Um, and I talked to my dad about it and, uh, he gave me a kind of a wishy-washy, like, uh, you may want to get yourself an education, son, yeah. uh, kind of thing. And then yet it was, but this is so fun and I know you'll love it. Be so good. Um, so it was kind of weird, but, um, I, I knew in middle school for sure, 100%, even though I thought about it much earlier, but I knew in middle school leading into high school that wrestling was going to be in my future. Circling back real quick, I forgot to ask you if normal Mondays were were tough. How bad was that Monday after the uh, the Saturday night's main event uh, evil twin gimmick? That was the best night. Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> that was that was awesome. Because people were tired of him screwing over the people in the NWA. So oh, they I mean, were just happy he was gone. <laughs> I don't yeah, care. Maybe maybe he'll turn over a new leaf. I don't care if you screw over Hulk Hogan as long as you don't screw over Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat and all those Dusty Rhodes. That's great. That was not the question I was asking. I, right. The answer I was expecting, but that was that's fantastic. I'm assuming your dad trained you. Anybody else have a a, a part in it? Maybe your uncle. No. No, my dad, 100%. Uh, we did it in the living room. And then uh, we were eventually... In the living room? Evolved to a ring. Yeah, yeah, in the living room, yep. Now, yeah. what, was he, um, what was he training you to do, right. and who would play like the wrestlers? If you were, if he was training you to ref, who would, who, how does that happen? How do you train in the living room to be a referee when there's nobody wrestling? You'd be amazed at what pillows can be. <laughs> You'd be amazed. Well, that's a personal <laughs> <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> but no, he he would teach me how to to slide uh, positioning. He would teach me false finishes, and pillows are the best thing to use in a in a lot of ways for the uh, for the false finishes because you never knew if he was going to pull the pillow up to kick out. You know what I mean? So you had to really focus on shoulders and stuff like that. So it was it was really kind of cool. I mean, it wasn't the obvious training that I think most people in this today's world would think. Well, I, I, that's not the kind of shit I want to do. Um, but, but no, that's, that's how we did it. Now, no, don't get me wrong. We evolved and we're able to get to where we got a ring and all that kind of stuff. But, but it all started in the living room. So let's go to the elephant in the room, the Montreal screw job. Uh, I'm assuming that you weren't aware of what was happening that night. I don't think, I think there was a handful of people. Um, were you watching the pay-per-view? Uh, I was, yes. So what were your thoughts when that all was going down? I mean, as confusing as that was to everybody, uh, you must have had a million things going through your mind. Um, I did. Um, my first initial reaction, and I'm not going to lie, was, oh, shit, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and that was my initial thought, and that's no lie. <laughs> that's a shoot. Did you, did you think it was – did you really feel like it was a shoot, or did you think, oh, maybe it's an elaborate work and they're just doing an angle? I didn't know what to think. I really didn't for a little while. I had to think on it for a little while. I really did. Um, and my dad didn't know what to think. Uh, I talked to him that, that evening and I talked to him the next day and he was still uh, kind of rattled, man, like in a way. Um, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm talking about just what I experienced talking to him with what sure. I felt. Um, he just felt a little rattled, a little uh, in a little uneasy state kind of thing, I guess. And was un what he'd actually done. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, looking back and people ask me, I, I still, man, I, I don't think there's a clean cut version that anybody can tell you except the people that really, really honestly know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think it was a work? Do you think it was a shoot? What do you think? No, I think it was a shoot. I, I don't think it was, I, do I don't think it was a work. And I think you're, they put your dad 
and uh, I like your dad and I like you, but even if I didn't, uh, even if you guys were jerks, which are totally the opposite, uh, if anybody ever got to, to meet you, you and your dad, um, I, I think they put him in a horrible situation. I mean, that's a, that, that's talk about a no win situation, man. Uh, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, and for a long time, he took a lot of the heat from that because he went ahead and did it after he promised Brett he wouldn't. How hard was that for you, for you and your family afterwards? And how long did it take before things got back to normal? I mean, to be quite honest with you, man, it actually, you, you hit the head on the nail, the, the nail on the head, whatever it is. Um, it sucked, man. It sucked. Uh, I, I really thought it was unfair for WWE to do that to him. Um, I was very pissed at him. It was um, an egotistical uh, maneuver. Uh, I thought it was um, the, 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 he was being led to be the fallout guy. Um, I just thought it was a shitty thing to do. I did, and um, I was angry. I was upset. Um, but then I look at things differently now. And as far as the family thing goes, um, we were fine. I mean, we were fine. I mean, things didn't really, you know, it was just it took people a long time to adjust to what was going on and what, you know what was really happening. You know what I mean? So. It was fine in that aspect. Some people always had questions that I couldn't answer, and that, that stuff that was frustrating. Um, but, you know, it, it was a tough position to be put in. And, hey, the way I look at it, it made him probably the most infamous referee in the world. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure it's made him a lot of money. Sure. Um, so if you look at it that way, now you can say thank you, WWE. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, there's two ways of looking at it. Years go by, people forget things. Time heals all wounds. So, hey, let me ask you a question. Did – um. Did, did Brett ever say anything? Did you and Brett ever discuss this, or was he over it by the time you met him for the first time? Um, it was weird. Uh, I've seen Brett several times, um, and not since me, um, not since my dad and him have passed things out. And it was kind of uh, just uh, ignore walk by. You know what I mean? Like a really tension field. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he intentionally meant to. Maybe I don't know. I, I, I mean, believe me, I wasn't trying to run up to him and talk to him either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it was just a. Awkward, awkward, but I have not spoken words to him or anything, but other than, hey, that's it. Now, your dad has, has, has uh, spoken to him and, and patched everything up, correct? Yes, that is correct. That's good. And like you said, you know, at the, at the time, it was a crappy thing for them to do, and, and it probably was pretty agonizing. But if you look back, it, it made him probably uh, one of, if not the most well-known referees in, in, in this era uh, of the business. So, uh, you know, sometimes if you could withstand the short-term, if you could withstand the short-term pain, the long-term gain is, uh, will work for you. So I'm glad it worked out because it could have, it could have really fallen apart if, uh, if, uh, I, I think that Mick Foley, uh, from what I hear, had a lot to do with uh, defending your dad and 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 calming some of the boys down. So, uh, he hey, did. how did yeah. how did how did uh, how did you end up working? Well, first of all, you started refing in the living room, and then you moved to a ring. Before you went to WWF, how long did you work indies and stuff like that? Um, really, I didn't work any indies. Um, what I did was um, I was being booked by WWE on local drives up and down the East coast that I could do. And, um, I was never doing, you know, I would never do any TVs. Now I'd be at TVs and I would do dark matches and things like that. If that was, if that were the case for a certain show, but otherwise they were mainly like house shows and things like that. And I did that for like two years, um, with just, you know, WWE. So paying your dues was really house shows for WWE. That doesn't suck. Well, no, it doesn't suck at all, and I, you know, I, I also did ring and all that stuff. But um, it was—it's it, kind of weird. 
Bang Dudes was different for certain people when, so like when I was there, I got a lot of heat from the boys, which was part of my getting the rub thing. Like, in other words, like to give you instances, like the Dudley boys at one point in time, I mean, Bubba was brutal to me, but he was doing it. He was doing it because he physically loved me, but he was letting me know just the way it is, kid, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't looked that special. I can tell you, I really wasn't. Um, I was I was I was ribbed a lot. Um, you know, I had to do a lot of things. Uh, I'm not getting into all that, but uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't what people would probably think that it was like a spoon and here's a spoon and uh, that kind of thing. But I'm saying that I was. Indies, yes, but that wasn't what I was doing. I had a I had a shoot job that on the weekends and whatever I could do. Some indies that were available, but other than that, I can't say I was an indie. You know, doing indies. You know what I mean? But I was doing the WWE at the time, part time, uh, up and down the East Coast. Uh, did you travel with your dad, with your uncle, or did you have a crew that you they travel with, or you travel by yourself? When I was doing the part time thing, sure. Oh, I was by myself. Yeah, I would drive myself. And then once you became full time. Uh, once I became full time, I, I traveled with Tony Schimmel, uh, Aris, um, a little bit with Mike Kyoto. Um, that was my main crew. So the referees normally travel together in WWE. When things were different, when we were tight, when everybody was together, it was like a big family, you know. But it's a it's a big business now. Everybody's looking out for themselves and worried about everybody backstabbing. Well, at least you still have Charles Robinson you could count on because he's always – I don't think he'd ever do that to anybody. No, Charles is my buddy. He he also traveled in that car as well. I was going to ask you, so at, at, at what at, – you were working for uh, WWE slash F when, the, uh, when they bought WCW, correct? Yes. I started, I started in WWE in 99. So you were just about going full-time when they bought the uh, WCW. Would that be right? Yes. I don't know if you remember, but I was a WCW official as well. In WWE, though, not in WCW. That is correct. For the invasion part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so how was that? You know, you're just, you know, you, 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 you learn, you're learning the ropes. Guys are ribbing you and stuff, which happens to everybody. I'm sure your dad has stories probably worse than you. I don't know. But back in, back in the day with Johnny Valentine and guys like that around, I can't imagine that they're not as bad, if not worse. But, um, but yeah, exactly. so you're so but you know and i got ribbed to to high heaven i mean you know and and that's just you know that's just what happens in the business especially when you're not especially when you're not a wrestler but even when you're a wrestler they you know they rib the new guys so uh you just got you know it's really how you weed out the the ones who are gonna stay in from the ones who are who can't live on the road you know so um that's right the only thing i ever got hot about was i got somebody put a pill in my drink it was actually Brutus Beefcake. He probably, I'm sure he doesn't remember, but he put a pill in my drink and, uh, and I ended up waking up the next day, uh, like waking up in the bushes later that night. And I was, uh, and you know, back then people, they'd laugh about it. So everybody knew who did it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure now, you know, you get, that's, you know, you're getting all kinds of trouble for that, but it's a different world. But I just said, look, you guys, could, you guys could do anything you want to me, uh, if you want to rib me, but don't, don't, 
you know, I could have walked out in the street and passed out. I could have gone to jail. You know, don't don't screw with my livelihood. Yeah. You know, you want to you want to mess with me to see that I got what it takes to be on the road. You know, but don't don't screw with my livelihood because if I'm not if I'm you know if I get myself drunk and I put myself in a position that I screw up, then that's on me. But if somebody else does it and I don't know about it, then then you know that's a bad deal. So thankfully. One of the reasons that nobody ever did that again is because I was traveling with Pee Wee at the time, and Pee Wee had already gotten the respect respect of the boys. So Pee Wee kind of said, yeah. hey, Pee Wee kind of said, back back off, you know, uh, you know that's not cool, and you know if you're gonna do that, do it to somebody else. And funny enough, we were also traveling. Our third travel partner at that time, when I actually happened, and I could actually see because the hotel was right across from the bar, and I felt like in the road in the middle. I woke up, but we actually were traveling with a young. Uh, John Paul Levesque, Terror Rising, at the time. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first, when he first came into WCW, he didn't have a lot of money, and uh, he didn't really know anybody. And so I got my room paid for, which is one of the I, – I, I figured out later on, which was one of the re- reasons Pee Wee took me under uh, – under his wing is because you know at the time i'm thinking oh you know he likes me and and we ended up being great friends our families were friends i miss him to this day um but you know you you you, you get smart and you know we kind of used each we kinda, and i've told the story before on the podcast we kind of used each other he used me for a free room and a free car and i used him to learn the business and 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 get to know what to do and what not to do on the road because uh, back then, Thanks like you said, right? yeah, yeah, back then they didn't screw around. The guys were brutal. Uh, so, so we used each other all. But yeah, uh, for some reason, uh, Pee Wee took a liking to to John Paul Levesque and said, um, you know, do you want to come and ride with us? And so for about six months, he was uh, our third wheel. And he slept on a cot, uh, and now he is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I've never talked ever since then. I've never talked to him. He used to his car used to always break down. And my wife had a white station wagon and we had two kids uh, in the back seat and car seats. So we would go pick, pick. And this was just in six months. So it's not like I was uh, we were buddies for a long time. After that, he moved on. But for the first six months, it's funny. Um, his car used to always break down in Atlanta. And so my wife would go pick him up to take him uh, wherever, uh, you know, take him to the mechanics or whatever. And he would sit in the back of the because I was in the front seat and he would sit in the back of the station wagon, not the back, but the middle section, but in the middle between yeah. the two baby seats, between the two car seats. Now, if I knew, if I knew then what I knew now, I'd have sat back there and let him in the front seat. But, uh, who, who would, yeah. who, who would have ever know? And anyway, just uh, get a little bit of a crazy history since we brought up that time period. Cause I remember it vividly. Cause I was very, very upset about getting uh, gimmicked. Hey, um, so tell me about uh, the WCW guys coming in. Uh, I've heard from various people. Some people said it was tense. Some people said it wasn't. Uh, what were your thoughts? You were just, you know, starting full time as well. So did you kind of gravitate more with the WCW guys because you guys, you, you had just started and, and they they were just started? Well, it was weird, man, for me, because you can remember, I knew all the WWE guys. And there were guys that I did not know but have always watched on TV and WCW. And I was like, kind of in like, excitement like man i get to meet these booker t's and uh you know jericho's and you know you know what i mean like the names that you guys had and i was just like man this is awesome um so my experiences were never mentioned i mean for me um i knew there was some with some, some other guys and uh you know that's just natural i mean that's you know you're taking 
two locker rooms and trying to put them together that were locker rooms that were totally separate. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and totally so different. Got, totally different. Totally different. Yeah. Um, so as far as where I was, you know, as far as being a referee, all of our referees were welcomed in and we all pretty much got along. Nick Patrick was their lead guy there. And, um, uh, I, I remember for some reason Billy Silverman having a little bit of heat with everybody, which I don't know, remember why and what that was about. Um, uh, but Charles said, you know, he, he fit right in. Um, we all just fit right in as far as that went. Um, but as far as the boys go, you know, obviously I can't answer for that as far as that goes. I mean, I just knew of tension because of working with certain guys at matches and, you know, just certain things said and whatnot. But otherwise for me, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a pretty cool part of time. And, uh, if I knew now what I knew then, I mean, obviously it wasn't as cool as I thought it was. But yeah. Hey, neat. I've never met. There's only two people in the business that uh, I think that I would that care about that I never met. Not that I care, but that were were you know p- people le- legacy people, and that's one's The Rock and one's Vince McMahon. Uh, tell me about working with Vince McMahon. How is he intimidating? Is he how is he with the referees? Uh, it's intimidating as shit. I'm not. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you. That, uh, that, that Vince is something, man. Um, I got a little story I'll tell you real quick. Sure, please. Uh, about Vince. About Vince. Okay, so well, um, I had never been on Raw or SmackDown. This was me paying my dues. I still had to do all the Sunday night heat shows and all that was on TV, all the dark matches. Right. Well, as as I went back to watch myself and, and critique it and all that kind of thing, I noticed um, something Michael Cole had said during his announcing. Well, they, they had given me a name of Brian Weber. They did not want me to use Brian Hefner. So Brian Weber was my name on Sunday night heat and dark matches and whatever they're using. Um, so I noticed that he had slipped up and said, Brian Hefner, um, quite a few times actually. So I went up to Michael Cole and I said, Michael, you're calling me Brian Hefner. I said, is that okay? Because Brian Weber was what I was told I was supposed to go by. He says, I don't know. Look, Vince is right over there. Why don't you go ask? Oh, geez. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is now. This is my first time ever talking to this guy. And I'm like, oh shit. All right, so let me do this. So, if you know the ramp, there's a ramp where the where the boys and everybody coming out at, and then there's a side ramp. Well, he was on the side ramp, and I came down the ramp and knelt down to where I was more on his level, and looked at him and I said, "Hello, Vince. How are you today?" He said, "Fine. How are you?" I said, "Good." I said, "Can I ask you a question?" Sure. I said, well, and I'm stuttering, I'm sweating like shit. Um, and I'm like, um, excuse me, um, um, Vince. Um, well, 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 they, they, well, they're, well, my name is Brian Weber, but they're calling me Brian Hebner. And, and I, I don't know what, um, well, they told me to ask you cause I don't know what they want me to be called and what you want. He goes, what's your name? And I said, uh, Brian Hebner. He went, sounds good. Walked off. Just walked right the fuck off. But that could that, on the ramp and everything. That could have ended a lot worse. So I was picturing it ending a lot worse. So I I, I think I'd take that if I were you. But uh, oh, I would I would definitely take it because it was over with. But I was just <laughs> like, holy shit, man! It was like it, just, it was just weird. It was just really weird. It was awkward, and I just and and I think that was a rip. For Michael Cole to oh, to I was going <laughs> to ask you. I was going to ask you. I'm sure it was. I'm sure because oh, yeah. I'm sure that he's, you know, he's thinking, oh, geez, I'm setting this kid up and he's going to go to Vince and Vince could give two shits and, and doesn't have enough time in the day to care. And, uh, and Vince didn't give two shits. He yeah. didn't give two shits. He just said, what's your name? Like, like, what's your name? I said, Brian Ember. He said, sounds good. And walked right <laughs> off. I mean, beelines. <laughs> 
I thought there was a who the fuck cares coming in that in that conversation, so I think you got off pretty good, actually. Uh, I think it was a basically who the fuck cares, though, anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that was definitely Michael Cole setting you up. People that don't understand the business, there's so many layers of it, uh, of, of, of how you entertain yourself, especially before the Internet and cell phones and stuff. And so, you know, that's a perfect scenario of you coming up to him, him having no clue, but seeing Vince standing there and saying, yeah, hey, kid, go ask him, knowing that it ain't going to end well just to entertain yourself right so it wasn't exactly. when you brought that up there wasn't a doubt in my mind that he had set you up um yeah. any, any other stories that stand out from your time in wwe did you get to do any wrestlemanias i did quite a few man um yeah i did um my, my biggest match uh that i've ever done that i, I, I think it's gonna be very hard to top them for anybody else unless they re- bring it back but uh uh the vince mcmahon hulk hogan match out in seattle uh that was a pretty big Pretty big match uh, and a pretty big honor for me. Uh, really, really cool. Really wow, cool. I didn't know you did that match. That is a big honor. Um, were you nervous? I can't, you had to that's, be. That's not. A, yeah, that's a, that's an understatement. Uh, I, I didn't sleep for two days. I was there a week. <laughs> they flew me in early. Yeah, they they flew me in early, and I had a uh, Michael Hayes. <clears throat> Michael Hayes was my agent, who I absolutely loved, um, by the way, um, and uh, he had a lot of trust in me. And he uh, he went over a bunch of stuff, and I had a bunch of stuff that I had to, to look at. And I had never looked at anything before in my life. This was like going to class. And um, I had all week to prep. And most guys my age at that time would have been out in Seattle, and I mean just, just getting, just, you know, having it up and just living the, the, the week of WrestleMania up in Seattle. Sure. Well, I was in my room shitting uh, <laughs> every day, uh, studying every day. I'd go down to the bar just so people didn't think I was dead, have some drinks, um, you know, and go back to my room. And the, But the last two days of that for that match were the most two hectic days of my life. And then the day of the show seemed like the longest day ever before that match ever came on. It was just so nerve-wracking. Once that uh, Vince established that you were called your real name and uh, you did that match, uh, how is it like interacting with him and Hogan uh, in the days leading up to that? Well, me and Hogan have always been cool, man. He's always been really nice yeah, to me yeah. and loved me and thought I was a good kid. And, um, Vince is just uh, Vince, man. I mean, he wasn't mean to me or anything. He just, you know, he could probably give, like you said earlier, he could probably give two fucks with what I was. But, uh, he, you know, he was fine. I mean, we've had some great interactions when we did some Iraq tours and stuff like that. But uh, as far as that went, it was all business. I mean, um, that was the, probably the first and only time I've ever been in Vince's office as as a you know, as a welcome guy, you know, to just walk in when you want kind of thing. Other than that, it was when I was doing the ring crew, wait for them to leave and eat all their steaks they had left over. You know, um, that's a common theme yeah. I've heard. You're like the third person that says that, that uh, he has his own catering. Who was the other person? Chavo, Chavo Jr., Jerry? Chavo Jr. talked about him and Benoit and uh, and and uh, sneaking around uh, because he had his own private catered room with prime rib and ribeyes and fillet and lobster, and he would only eat a little bit of it. So that seems like a common okay, theme. I, I, well, I can tell you this: the best I've ever eaten in my life was after every WWE uh, SmackDown event after Vince <laughs> and the company left. So it seems like everybody, it seems to me like all the boys and all the talent were like keeping their eye out on Vince walking out so they could rush to get, uh, get some food before everybody, uh, before it all went, got eaten. Oh yeah. Everybody knew. I mean, and what was good was I was on the ring crew and my first job that I had to do to start the teardown was I had to get all the shit out of Vince's office. So I was right there, like literally at the doorway when they were leaving. <laughs> Bye Vince. Bye Shane. 
<laughs> my staff. And I'm like, come on, y'all, hurry up. Come on, Michael, hurry up. Uh, and then once they left, I was in there. I grabbed me a box, grabbed Chimo a box, grabbed Cordero's a box, and then I didn't care. That's funny. Chavo kind of made it seem like that was like their little stick, and and nobody else knew about it. But I guess it was a, uh, I guess it was a uh, uh, not a good secret. That's great stuff. Um, so you and your father and your uncle left WWE around the same time. Did you leave because they left? No, I, I, I tell you, I don't know why I left. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I guess the, the stigma from why they left followed me, and. Uh, Honestly, to God, I, I was uh, late to work, which was my fault. And uh, they were told I was told that they were going to suspend me. Uh, so I was suspended and was told to call Johnny Ace back. And when I called Johnny Ace back, he told me they didn't have anything for me. <laughs> and I kind of laughed like I just did. And I said, Johnny, you don't have anything for a referee, so you don't do matches anymore. <laughs> What he what he say? I'm dying to know because he's so he's such he, a bullshit. He didn't say anything. Yeah, there's, he didn't say anything because there's nothing to fucking say. Um, you know, so I guess that was it. That was the way you know we're going. He wished me luck, and uh, that was it. But the good news is that uh, you guys got jumped. You and your dad jumped right in with TNA. So uh, it was actually really good timing. How did how, how did that come about? Uh. Well, I sat at home for a little while. I sat at home for uh, right around three years, I think. Oh, really? That long? Um, I did, um, which was really good. I needed it. Uh, I really did. Um, I was doing so much travel at that point in time. Um, the three years kind of let me get back because I, I hated the business, man. What, what happened to me, I really did. I hated it. I couldn't stand the shit. I wouldn't watch it. I couldn't. And not, it wasn't like I was, like, rebelling against it. I'm not watching you because you did what you did to me kind of thing. It was... I just don't give a shit about you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't care. Um, but it let me miss it. It let me love it again. And I was ecstatic when TNA wanted to bring me in. I was ecstatic. I was really excited again. And um, they were doing really well at the time. Uh, business was real good. Um, and it, it was life all over again. And I really, really enjoyed many amount of years at TNA um, as the locker room was so different. The boys were so different management, owners, agents, just everything was just so different. And uh, it was a very, very good change in my life. And um, I couldn't have changed anything the way it is. I mean, I really I just couldn't have. It was, it was great. It was a great transition uh, from the WWE to there. Um, and it was just really good to me. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never been in a WWE locker room, but well, one time, but, uh, but, I've heard a lot of stories, you know, both doing this podcast and just talking to friends. And I know what the TNA uh, atmosphere was uh, for, mo- you know, I was there for five years and then came back towards the end. Uh, and and, and it, from what I've heard, WWE even still is and what TNA was and maybe probably still is. It's it, it's like you can't even compare. It's like uh, uh, you know, uh, hiking in the in the Himalayas, just laying on the beach. Did you notice that? Yeah, I mean, I did. I did. I mean, because to me, to me, the difference is this: like people think that, oh, uh, well, he just went to TNA because he W doesn't him. That's always the thing you get. I don't know whether WWE fucking wanted me or not because it didn't matter to me. Um, you know, and I don't know if they want me now. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I'm happy with with what I did, and when I went there, nobody has any idea that I was way happier than I was before. You know what I mean? So I made good money there. 
I traveled there. Um, you know what I mean? And, and, and to me, the, the difference is that is the bigger ship in the pond. That is the bigger boat, which is WWE. So there's, there's so much pressure put on people. And everybody doesn't feel that, you know, the way I do, I'm, I'm sure. But I, and, and I'm, I was just a very, very small piece of that puzzle. But I think because it's such a big business and it's a bigger boat or a bigger ship or whatever you want to call it, there's so much more pressure for losing your job. And I don't know if anybody's ever worked somewhere where every day of your life you were worried about losing your job. And I did in WCW. <laughs> in WCW, okay. I did. And a lot of that was on so me. A lot, a lot of that was on me. A lot of that wasn't on the powers that be. Uh, I was just, you know, I, w- I was living my dream that I never thought I'd get a chance to. And I just worried too much about, you know, it all falling apart because that's what I do. I worry. Yeah, well, I mean, but but so you understand what I'm saying. So for a lot of these guys, man, there's just pressure day on and day out, you know, to, to not screw up, to not say the wrong thing. Well, if I say the wrong thing and this guy hears me, he's going to go back to this because he wants my spot. Right. I mean, it's just that constant stuff going on. And I can tell you, in TNA, there was none of that shit, man. I mean, and if there was, I didn't see it. I'm being serious. I mean, have I ever seen it a little bit here or there? Yeah, you, you're never going to get away with that. But I'm saying as far as, and you know, because you were there, you just didn't see it to that quality, high quality that, that, that there was in WWE. I mean, you, there, everybody was relaxed and friends and uh, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it was just what a, what a refreshing, like a refresher it was for me, you know, for those years that I was there as opposed to being a WWE. Yeah, people asked me what my most fun time in the business was, thinking it was the Monday Night Wars, and, and there was so much pressure on me. And like I said, I was always afraid of screwing up and, and getting fired or getting in trouble. Um, uh I, by the time I, I went to TNA, I had uh, I owned a company, uh, so this was like a part time gig. The money was really good. I only had to drive from Tampa, and basically you had a production meeting, you ate catering. We'd go back to the conference room. Me and Mike Tanay and Don West would sit there, and different people would come in, and Kevin Nash would 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 take the floor for forty five minutes, or Bubba Ray would take the floor for thirty minutes. Jim Cornette would talk for an hour, and all, and and it's like, and then I'd go out and ring announce, and it's like holy crap, I'm getting paid for this. There's no pressure. There was no, you know, it didn't matter how the company did. Not that I didn't hope they did well, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't living and dying on ratings and, and like I wasn't in, in WCW. So that's, that's the, that's the best uh, environment I've ever been around in the business. And like I said, never been in WWE, but definitely the best. Uh, how was your relationship with Dixie Carter? Me and Dixie, we're, we're, we're very good friends. Uh, Dixie, Really, um, really loved me and loved my look, and she tried to change me when I first got there. I went with it for a minute, but uh, then I just decided I'm not going to look like a goof anymore. But she wanted me to change my hairstyle, um, which is another funny story, and I did. And and, and I don't know, you know, I don't think you know me like this, but I'm not into that kind of thing, man. I'm just me, man, and I'm not trying to look like what the style is. I just what does it matter what a referee? Style. What does it matter what a referee's hairstyle is? I have no idea. I have no fucking clue. (laughs) But um, we had a great relationship. I I hung out with her quite a few times um, after shows and things like that. She was very nice to me. Um, So I don't have anything bad really to say about Dixie. I just think that sometimes when things are going bad and you're in her position, you're going to have to say things that aren't true to mask the things that are happening that are for real. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, speaking of that, tell me about the end uh, before they sold the anthem. I wasn't. I was there after they sold the anthem, but I was not there before. But you heard the stories of you know not knowing if pay per views were going to happen and not knowing where the money was, if the money was going to come from. You know, there was stuff about people getting paid late. I don't know if that happened to you, but uh, tell me about that. And 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 you know, I'm sure that kind of changed the atmosphere that we were just talking about. Uh, did did you just kind of roll with it, or did you? Uh, did were you worried? Uh, I was worried for many, many of my years before the end for me leaving. Um, I really was. I actually had a text Dixie. It was a, it was a Christmas week, I believe, or two weeks before Christmas and was concerned about my Christmas um, and the future moving on. And I had some other opportunities and didn't know whether to take them or not because I was comfortable and scared, you know what I mean, to move on to somewhere else. Um, and she reassured me that, we would be fine, um, that kind of thing, and um, we did we did make it through that that period. Um, I felt a little more comfortable, but as far as getting into the late pay and all that, all I can tell you is I got paid. I, 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 got I wasn't paid all my money. I wasn't asking about that. I was just addressing the obvious. I would never ask about that. Um, but 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 was there was there pressure on you? Like how are the boys? Uh, you know when when they're, you're there on a Saturday in Orlando and the the words coming out that they don't know if they have the money to do the the pay per view or the TV was did 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 the boys uh, did that. Was that a big point of conversation at the uh, at the alehouse, or was that, uh, or do you guys just went about and said you can't control what you can't control and just roll with it? I mean, we no, we were we were we were very concerned. Obviously, I mean, we're there. If they don't pay per view, we're not getting paid. So what are we doing there? You know what I mean? Like what what the hell? Um, we all had a we had a big meeting, just the boys, and we made sure that there was one person that made sure nobody that we didn't want that fucking meeting wasn't in there. Um and. We did that, and we all came together and figured out what we needed to do and how we needed to do it, changed what was going on around there. Um, and that was a pretty cool point for me to, you know, to have to go through that. It was, I mean, why, why, and you're probably saying, why would you want to go through that? I, I didn't want to go through it, but I did. So, so now that it's looking back, it was a cool story to tell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Where'd you, um, where did that meeting so, take place? We um, we found, you know how the catering rooms are, where they used to be, where you Inside, where the the things would open up. Yeah. Okay. What we did was we found one of those that didn't have anything in it and asked. Um, can't remember her name now. I feel so bad. Uh, she was such a sweet lady. Uh, the girl that ran the Orlando Park there. Um, yeah, I can't either. I can see her bar. face. I can see her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, golly. Uh, but anyway, we asked her if we could borrow it for, which we ended up doing it for like an hour. Um, but anyway, we asked could we borrow that and have it shut and the door locked. And she said absolutely. Uh, Bernie, Bernie's her name. Bernie, yeah. Could you uh, could you tell? Uh, are you at liberty? And if not, I understand to uh, give any insight into what was discussed in that meeting. Um, all I can tell you is uh, it was it was it was just about, in all honesty, just about how we can change things. I mean, and then make things better. Um, trying to work with with the management there, and there were supposed to be some supposed changes that everybody kind of wanted and um, we wanted to show that that's what we wanted. And it was a kind of a come together, everybody. And if you, if you don't come together, then, 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 then fucking leave. You know what I mean? Like, cause this is where it is. This is where it's a great place to be kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was kind of like that. Well, in a business where, where the, the, you know, most, a lot of people have the, the, you know, inner, 
Uh, God, I can't think of the word. But we're in a business where a lot of people like to bitch. Let's just say, say that. Uh, it's nice that yeah. you guys had a positive meeting because it could have definitely gone in another direction. I've been in some of those, and they, they could definitely go in another direction. Um, so Impact, uh, TNA became Impact. Anthem bought the company. At some point, they decided that they were going to downsize as far as Ring payment, what they pay their ring announcers, what they pay their referees. I think it was around the same time that we both found that we all found that out. Uh, tell me how that came about, and uh, and you know what your thoughts were at the time. Um, well, I mean, so it was like this. So we were going into a pay per view that was in Canada. I don't even remember what the name of it is because I never knew our pay per view anyway. Um, but it, we were going into a pay per view, and it was about a week out. Nothing had been said to me. My pay had never changed um, at all. Um, and then I was—I got a phone call from somebody in the office who's very good friends with me um, and said, look, I just want to give you a heads up. They're going to make some pay structure, and they want to take you to this. And I said, and what the fuck's that going to do? And he was like, I don't know. Uh, I just want to know what you want to do. And I said, well, you can just tell them. I quit. I, I want my release. I want out. Um, and I had a hard time getting my release at first. I don't know why, but, um, or it took time. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, long story short, I got my, I got my release. I called my dad, um, who had not been called either at that time. I called Stifler who hadn't been called at the time. Um, cause he kind of wanted me to pass the word along. Right. Um, and before I knew it that day, all three of us quit. Yeah, I kind of, I, I don't know exacts, but I kind of know what, what I was getting cut to. So I, I can't, it, it really wasn't, and, and I love, I love Impact Wrestling. We just had, um, Ed Nordholm on for the second time to talk about, uh, the state of Impact Wrestling on the podcast. Um, a lot of good friends there, Scott Demore being, being one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, for whatever reason, right or wrong, and, you know, you, you know, I'm sure at the time, I don't think any of us were happy. Uh, you know, they decided that, they were going to cut the pay structure of the of the ring announcer and the referees and I guess some of the production people, and um, it really it, it just didn't make any sense at that point. You know, you know, you, you know, at that point you'd almost you'd almost be doing it just for the the love of doing it, and I wasn't at that point in my life. No, I, I wasn't at that point in my life either. And and like I said, I mean, to me, to me, they cut the wrong people. That's what they did. Um, but. I, I, could I have still been there and what they with what they were gonna cut me to? Sure. I mean, but the thing is, at that point in time when you're not paying or they're not picking up a hotel or they're not picking up a rental and that kind of stuff, I mean when you add up the pennies <clears throat> I mean, you'll do okay, but you're not doing anything. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm 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 not gonna be degraded to this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Was there any is there still any heat with with all you guys or is it all kind of water under the bridge? With TNA? Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a lot of friends there. Um, I don't hold any. I hold, I hold a little heat because I just think that it was done in, 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 in incorrectly. I thought it was done rudely. Um, I had given them nine years of everything, uh, um, and I'm not mad about it. I'm really not. I'm just. I just thought it was pretty shitty the way to do it. Um, and it's fine. I mean, I, you can you can handle the way you want to. Um, I thought that the guy who reached out to me was was it was awesome of him to do because it could have been really bad because i'm uh, i don't have a good temper <laughs> and had i had, had i been called by that certain person that was supposed to call me 
it would have been horrible, and I probably would have never ever been welcomed back into a, a, an arena they're around or anything. Um, but I mean, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I think they they have understood that um, they've made some mistakes by doing so. So. So your dad is in AEW, and you're in, in NWA, which we're going to talk about in a minute uh, before we wrap things up. Uh, did you try did, any interest in going to AEW, and or uh, or was uh, just more the decision to bring your dad in and and you go your own way? No, it was uh, it was it was weird. I had a, a really really weird, uh, but good weird. Um, three weeks before AEW were to air on TV for their first episode. Um, I was in negotiations with three different companies. That doesn't suck, um, by the way. I've never had that problem. No, no. Well, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I was blessed. And that's really all I can say. I really, uh, I was really blessed. Um, and to be honest with you, when I left uh, TNA, uh, me and Billy Corgan had talked, and we were doing things that nobody knew about because obviously he wasn't where we're at now but I had been doing things with them and he had been loyal to me not working at TNA um, and giving me things to do and paying me and things like that and trusted, wanted me to trust in him that he was going to do some bigger things. Well, um, I worked something out with them and I was talking to other places and honestly, I got kind of emotional because I felt like, you know what? I've never worked with anybody that trusted me 100% and felt like I was worth my worth. And Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana are the only two guys on this planet since I've been in this business. We're the only two guys that said, we want you, we need you, and I want you to have us, and we want to take care of you, and we want you to take care of us, and we can all work this out. And after that, there was no reason for me to talk to anybody. That's awesome. Hey, uh, that really is awesome. Um and, and so their product is, uh, for people who haven't seen their product, and it's online, uh, debuts, I think, every week uh, on Tuesdays. Uh, it's it's sort of a throwback to what your dad started out uh, in, you know, the old, uh, they, they kind of redid the old, uh, uh, it's even in Atlanta, but they kind of did redid the old TBS studio. Uh, it's the crowd, you could hear the crowd, like, actually shout, shouting things out during the promos and stuff like that. They have no entrance music, which to me, one of the reasons that I want to talk to Billy or, or David is... To, to resist doing entrance music when everything in the last 25 years has had entrance music uh, had to had had to take balls. And I think that that more than anything else that they did uh, really uh, made showed the difference of what they were doing than everybody else was doing. But it had to take balls because that's just wrestling 101 these days is you play music and the guys come out. Uh, yeah. So so. uh but it's a very unique show. Uh, talk to me about the uh, how how it is to be in that setting, you know, where you could actually hear the people, you know, yelling and screaming and, and calling your name and and, and, and talking to you. I, I watched a little bit of this last show, and you know, you could you could hear people. Sh- it's, it's like the old days in TBS. You could hear people shout out, you know, "Hey, Eli Drake," you know, or, or something like this, or you know, I don't know if they ever shout at you, but it's just a very unique atmosphere. How, how was it when you first got there? I heard, uh, I heard from that a lot of people just it was it was the time of their lives. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, if you've if you've never um, seen anything like that, which I'm not talking to you, I'm saying if, if people have never seen sure. studio wrestling, um, going back and watching a little bit of it, and then watching what we're doing now, 
it's, it's, it's pretty freaking cool. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's so awesome and different. Um, and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. I mean, I really am. Um, and what they're, what they're doing and their strategy is, is, is amazing to me. And like you said, it's ballsy as shit. Really um, is. And the, to be in that studio live is absolutely amazing. It, I mean, it really, really is. It's, it's you're, you're, it's like you're in the ring, um, and on top of it and you, and you can say and do whatever you want as a fan. And it's, it's, it's there. Like you can't, you can't get it out of there. <laughs> it's like, it's there. It's just, there's just, there's no muffles. There's no nothing. It's just, it is what it is shot just the way it is um it's it's just a really cool concept i'm excited about it i like i love that it's different um we're not flipping all over the fucking arena um <laughs> you know it's, it's it's just really neat man and it's to me it's 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 grown-ass men going in there with an issue with a story trying to solve it with a wrestling match with an outcome uh there's promos that lead up to it there's promos that lead out after it um, it's wrestling one on one. It's it, and, and and it's it's not a hard thing to fucking do. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I kind of like it. I kind of dig it. I think it, if anybody's got a chance to see it live, you you'll appreciate it way more than even on TV, which um, is pretty cool to me too. So. You know, the, I was always a big fan of music, the music entrances. I remember, I can remember as it was yesterday, seeing the Freebirds for the first time in uh, in uh, uh, uh World Championship Wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling, and hearing that 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 song come in the background as they did their promos, and I just fell in love with that. Uh, to this day, huge mark for the Freebirds because of that. And uh, you know, I always loved the wrestling. You know, Randy Savage with the pomp and circumstance, and Flair with with uh, with his uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. But it's interesting because what I realized watching the NWA Power Show is that people have been accustomed to pop for the music, not for the talent. So the music starts, even if the wrestler's not out there yet, they're popping because they know who the music is for. And it's different because you hear all of a sudden somebody, they walk in the studio, whether it's to do a promo or whether it's to go into the ring to do a match. There's no ring announcing. It's just they're just walking in and Jim Cornette and uh, uh, Marquez are doing the play-by-play. and kind of like, you know, saying, oh, here comes Eli Drake to the ring, which is how Gordon used to do it. And uh, and and they're popping when they see the guys. They're not popping when they hear the music. And I I just think that that resisting that 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 that, you know, that thing that everybody's done since, you know, in the last 30 years of having entrance music to, to me, it just I just want to buy somebody a drink. Whoever came up with that and say that took balls and that really it changes the whole game. So I can't stress enough if yeah. if you've not seen the show, uh, it's called NWA Power Two R's at the end, and I'm sure they could go to NWA dot com or or uh, visit you on on uh, on Twitter. What's your handle, Brian? Uh, it's at Baby Hebner. Baby Hebner, you gotta love it. Anything else you want to say? To the fans? No, but I do. Well, I just want to say, like, uh, as you said, uh, like you said, it's called NWA Power, but it's actually with three R's. Three R's. Um, three R's. Um, it's on YouTube and Facebook for free each and every week, and we start at that magical time, which is six oh five every Tuesday. Um, and I love that six oh five thing. I really want to get a T-shirt that just says it's a six oh five thing. Um, but. Uh, it, it, it's it's worth watching. It's not for everybody. Um, just like everything that everybody else is doing is not for everybody. 
Uh, but it's worth a watch. And um, if you have any questions for me about it or just want to say something about NWA and, or anything else, like he said, you can reach out to me at, at Baby Hebner on Twitter. Um, and uh, that, I guess that's about it. I've plugged everything. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Like you said, you may not, you may love it, you may not like it, but uh, but I definitely recommend giving it a check, uh, checking it out, and uh, you know, just for the uniqueness and the different and and the old school feel, uh, f- especially if you're an old school fan that you grew up watching uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida or Georgia Championship Wrestling or any of those studio shows. It it, it brings back a vibe that I thought was dead and uh, and and it's, and it's recreated. So it's really cool. Hey, Brian, great chatting with you, man. Great stuff appreciate your time glad your family is is a class classy bunch of people and i'm glad everything worked out for you and uh i'm glad your dad is 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 in aw you're in nwa right where y'all want to be and i uh, wish you nothing but the best in the future thank you very much mr Penner. i appreciate it see you're gonna get heat from the boys for that mr penzer take <laughs> i tried to do that <laughs> I want to thank Brian Hebner for his time. Great stories, and uh, what an upbringing, man. How cool would that be to travel with your dad every weekend in the Carolina Territory in the, the ring truck and uh, just get to see that, that action every single weekend and and then uh, to go from there really not having to – obviously he had to pay his dues in a different way, but obviously uh, you know, jumping right into WWE and, and, and you know – Great Vince McMahon story. There's no doubt. As soon as he told me that, about Michael Cole said to go ask Vince, there was no doubt in my mind that that was a setup. And if I had to guess, that's probably a story Michael Cole still tells in a bar over a few drinks because that's great stuff. And uh, so thank you to Brian and be sure to follow him at Baby Hebner on uh, Twitter. And you can follow me at David Penzer and check out NWA Power. We talked about it a lot, something totally different. And uh, give it a look-see if you haven't already. Hopefully we'll be talking to Billy Corgan uh, down the road as well. Also hoping next week to get Dr. Britt Baker, DDS, on. I want to thank the fine folks at All Elite Wrestling for trying to work that out. She has a full-time gig, as you know, as a dentist, DDS. So it's been a little bit hard to get a time but uh we're working on it together and uh, really looking forward to her telling her story on this podcast in the near future also in the near future we're gonna have chris jericho on i saw chris um a couple of days ago and we're gonna try to set something up um that's going to be a big deal, obviously. Uh, so if you have any questions for J- Chris Jericho, let's start taking them now. You can hit me up at Twitter at David Penzer uh, or at Penzer Ringside. And if you have any questions for Chris, uh, let's start collecting them. And within the next two or three weeks, uh, we're going to go to La Casa Jericho and tape a face-to-face interview with the La Champion. Is that how he says it, uh, Jerry? The champion? Never good at French. Anyway, lots to look forward to. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us each and every week. Spread the word. Uh, please subscribe if you don't already. And if you can, be sure to leave a rating and a review. Until next time, I'm David Penzer, still City Ringside. Have a good week. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. 
Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. 